I don't know why people kept inviting him over. He was a disruptive guest who often criticized everything from where people sat to the guest list, to his host, to the other guests. Sometimes he'd hold forth and tell a long story, holding everybody at the table hostage in that way where every other guest secretly wonders, is anyone else noticing how much this guy is talking? Am I the jerk? Sometimes, like in Luke 14, when he told people at a Sabbath meal where they should have sat and then offered unsolicited advice about how to create a really great guest list, someone would try to interject and like try to redirect the conversation. After Jesus launched into all of that in Luke 14, one of the other guests, and I feel like you can kind of hear them ginning up enthusiasm in this grinding conversation, called out, well, you know, blessed is anyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. But that just gave Jesus a toehold to launch into another story. Plus, everybody knew that he was always eating with unsavory characters. Who would have wanted to join that club? Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors and sex workers, and tonight we're having him over. In spite of all that, throughout the Gospels, Jesus got a ton of invitations. I mean, yes, once he did famously bring or made somehow really good wine, but even that felt like kind of a humble brag to show up the host at the end of the night. Like, oh, this? Yeah, it's homemade. For somebody who cares as much about parties and party theology and gatherings as I do, it feels super ham-fisted and preachery to say that Jesus was a party guy or to talk about Jesus as a sought after party guest in the gospels. But this week, reading about all of these meals and parties where his behavior ranged often from irritating to aggressive, I really did start to wonder why people invited him. It seems old fashioned, but I definitely grew up knowing vaguely that it was considered impolite to talk publicly about sex or politics or religion. I don't know, like, is that considered a truism at this point? Or is it mostly in jokes about what not to talk about with your in-laws? Like, is it real? People don't express it that way anymore necessarily, but I do feel like given especially the last five or so years in our country, there is a lot of advice about what topics to avoid at work or in, in mixed company, whatever that is, or at family dinners. If we're careful at Thanksgiving, maybe conservative Uncle Alan won't get triggered and launch into a tirade. Maybe Rebecca won't lecture us about something she just heard on NPR. Let's just stick to the personal stuff, you know, our daily lives. Let's remember that we all love each other. Let's just try and have a nice Thanksgiving, a nice Christmas, a nice Easter. Let's just get along for this day. After all, this is what really matters, especially now. Katie Hayes, our preacher friend who, she preached our installation a few years ago. She's pastor of a church in Texas where every January they throw a, we survived the holidays party. Like they survived the hustle and bustle and the social pressure and the calendar and the commitments and the finances. I think it's mostly about the fact that for many people, they survived seeing their family or not seeing their families. I have many friends who stare down the holidays as something to be survived. Friends who start texting early in the fall. And what about Thanksgiving? multiple question marks conveying more than the words themselves. I have to steal myself for the holidays, the family. 
I have sometimes been one of those people in spite of having a very loving family of origin. Based on who I am, who I know, who I've been, I can imagine that some of those Texas church people's families are sad or hurt to see all the gleeful pictures from the we survived the holidays party. Maybe feeling like, are we something to be survived? Is a visit to our house something you have to recover from? And the hard answer in some cases is yes. And in some cases, it's not because there are fireworks or arguments, nothing overt that you could put your finger on. It's just the fact of quiet politeness that ignores so much. It's the fact of an invitation extended to someone who doesn't feel like their whole self is invited, who knows their whole self isn't invited. An invitation who knows, to someone who knows that there are certain things it's better not to talk about. Like my friend Elle, feeling like she can't tell her parents how very hard it is to parent solo, even while under their watchful eyes, their watchful eyes squinting at the goldfish crackers that got left on the sofa. It's T whose parents disapprove of their new church, even though T feels like their old church was killing them. It's S whose parents love him and think they understand, but they keep sending him books about freedom from being gay. It's those people sitting at family dinners, being polite for the sake of what really matters. It's those people who are not in any real sense of the word celebrating anything. They're just hanging on, hanging in. Is the harmony worth it? The politeness of it all so we can just have a happy, warm holiday. Priya Parker, who wrote The Art of Gathering, she works in conflict resolution and organizational design. She helps people throw transformative gatherings from dinner parties to conferences to private gatherings where some of the world's most powerful people pre-game events like the World Economic Forum. Since I read the book a couple of years ago, I've ripped off her ideas repeatedly, always crediting her and, and sharing them with other people too. And there's a moment in the book, most of the way through, when it feels like the gloves come off. Enough about warmth, she writes. Let's talk about heat. Some conversations generate more heat than others. And, and most of the time, she says, the heat comes from conflict, or taboos, perceived transgressions, power differences, hypocrisy, identity clashes. Issues have heat when they affect or threaten people's fears, needs, sense of self, when they poke at a source of power. It's natural when people want to avoid heat. Let's stick to warmth. But that's why people pay Priya the big bucks. She's not a party planner. She's in the business of transformative gatherings. And tension, discord, disagreement, heat, can move people and change people. Heat can lead to transformation. People pay Priya Parker the big bucks to come into a group of people that she's not a part of and ask the big heated questions. What are you avoiding that you don't think you're avoiding? What goes unsaid here? What are you trying to protect and why? 
by asking these questions, she helps people move out of years long stalemates at a global level. She helps companies make changes that no one thought were possible. She disrupts harmony for the sake of transformation. That's why they pay her the big bucks. And that may be why people kept inviting Jesus over, even knowing everything they knew about him. He was not a laid back guest. As far as we know, he rarely, if ever, chose to say nothing for the sake of harmony. Someone who often was warm and caring to the individuals he crossed paths with, individuals who maybe didn't receive much warmth and care otherwise. In a gathering, Jesus brought the heat. In the story that Bethany read, it's Luke 11, he's almost comically rude. First, he railed against the Pharisees. He was a guest of a Pharisee. And as a guest, he railed against the Pharisees and their rules. He called them out as hypocrites. And then he really ramped up the rhetoric and added, woe to you, Pharisees, woe to you. And then a third time, good measure, woe to you. And then maybe with the same kind of hope of like de-escalating the situation as that other dinner guest in Luke 14, a lawyer breaks in, um, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. And it's like not even a speed bump for Jesus. He turns and fires, well, woe also to you lawyers. You load people up with burdens that are hard to bear. You don't lift a finger to help. Woe to you, second time for the lawyers. You build tombs to honor prophets that your own ancestors killed. And they get a third, woe to you. Shortly after Jesus went outside. Is it getting hot in here or is it just me? The Pharisees started out as a movement with the best of intentions. The hand washing that Jesus astonished them by skipping was meant to be a frequent reminder, part of their daily lives that God is here. God is all around us. The earth and all that is in it belongs to God. And like so many movements, it ossified, set up into dogma until hand washing and its ilk was the point, not the omnipresence and overwhelming beauty of God. It ossified until tithing herbs. Here's 10% of my mint. Here's 10% of my rue. That became the point, not the justice and love of God. It ossified into cool, correct, polite dogma that it would be just rude and uncomfortable to call out at a party for goodness sake. They've done something nice. They've invited him over. Can't we all just get along? The party we're planning for, Easter, it's a real party. It's supposed to be a real party, a real celebration for all people felt all the way in our very bones. It is a party that happens in the shadow of death, a party that celebrates in light of all that's known, of all that goes unsaid. When Jesus spoke up at dinner, he named the private amazement of his host and brought it to the surface. He named the unnamed, that the Pharisees used their ossified dogma to maintain social order and their own power that their dogma contributed to unjust, uneven relationships, also the lawyers. And Jesus is about nothing if not breaking silences and asking big heated questions about the way th ways things have been. 
He's about nothing if not exposing hypocrisy and pointing to what actually really matters. He's about nothing if not life and death, the life and death of those around him, the life and death of the world, his own life and death. He's about nothing if not transformation. Jesus speaks up at this party and so many like it to name what's at stake, to bring a heat that is clarifying and cleansing that is an antidote to small talk and small stakes and killing loneliness and private suffering and the deadly vacuum of silences. Easter is not a small stakes party. It's not a let's just all get along for the day party. It is a we survived everything party. A we came through deep waters party a party where single moms have helping hands and young people have communities that bring more life, not death, and people are joined at the table by their lovers and no one sucks their teeth at them. It's a party where people may have dirty hands but are full of justice and the love of God. It's an impolite party where people are not biting their tongues. It's a party that's not warm at all. It's hot. <laughs> 